Hello, and welcome to Mixed DNA Podcast, the podcast with two mixed race hosts talking about any and everything. Each week, we pick a topic, do some research, throw in our own thoughts, opinions, and personal experiences when necessary, and put everything together to share with all of you. I'm Melissa. And I'm Vanessa. Today's episode, episode number 67, is Mixed DNA and DNA Testing. Last year for my birthday, my husband gifted me a DNA test kit from 23andMe. I think the idea behind the present was to coincide with the running of this podcast, as well as me always talking about it. Every time I saw a commercial, I'd be like, you know, I should really do that. Which, I mean, it really should, because being mixed, it's, I don't know, it would be nice to know everything specifically what I'm made up as. So, yeah, I think he was just like... Enough talking about it, just do it. So I did it. And um, first I got it, and then I told Melissa, and then I wanted to wait (laughs) for Melissa to do it. So Melissa got hers and did it before me, but then I eventually caught up. Yeah, so we wanted to do it together and to provide the actual DNA results um, of both of us. The results took approximately three weeks to populate, and we wanted to share our findings with all of you. Uh, But we're going to save our findings until the end of the episode. (laughs) What we're also going to go through in this episode is the various DNA and ancestry kits that are on the market. They advertise a lot, so it seems like they're always in your face. But how accurate are they? And are some better than others? Are certain ones a better value? Or is this whole semi-new phenomenon a big hoax? And what are these companies doing with people's DNA? Ideally for us, it would have been helpful to do more research on the different kits in the market before deciding which to go with, but since Vanessa already had a 23andMe kit, this is who we went with. And let's be honest, if you hadn't been gifted the kit, we would still be going back and forth about, hey, we should do this, we should do it, so. (laughs) That's very true. (laughs) Thank you to Redu for, like, moving us along. (laughs) Better late than never, we're doing... Yes, thanks, Redu. We're doing our research now, even though we've already got our um, results in hand. So here we go. The DNA test kits market is huge. Increasing commercial availability of direct-to-consumer genetic testing kits for ancestry testing, genetically guided health and wellness solutions, and emphasis on preventative care drives the test kit market, says theglobenewswire.com. Commercialization of DNA testing and use of consumer data to comprehend genetic association of health conditions fuel the growth of the market. Home DNA test kits received a big uptick in demand during the pandemic, and the data obtained from kits enabled and is still enabling scientists to shed light on the effects genes have on susceptibility to viruses like the coronavirus. This is driving companies in the DNA test kits market to undertake research and development for improved accuracy of home DNA test kits. Healthcare companies are also leveraging data obtained from DNA test kits to obtain insights on genres that respond to virus infections. Nowadays, it's very easy for people from different places to meet, fall in love or not, and have children regardless. 10,000 years ago, that wasn't so easy. Therefore, people within a certain geographic area tended to share DNA. Because travel was hard, they were more likely to produce offspring with someone who lived nearby. Over time, this caused people to be more closely related to their neighbors than to people who lived further away. The Tech Interactive says that ancestry and DNA test kits are zooming in on the similarities within populations and differences between populations that live further apart. When you spit into a test tube for your DNA kit, 
The testing company will extract your DNA from the cells in your saliva and then look at what's in your DNA in comparison to hundreds of thousands of places. And once they have a DNA code for you based on locations, they can compare your DNA to databases full of people whose ancestry is already known. They'll be able to see which group your DNA most closely matches. In some cases, your DNA might match well with one population, but in another part, it might match with another population pace. This happens when you have ancestors from different parts of the world. The total parts of the DNA that match each ancestry are added up and reported as percentages. For example, if you're 30% Moroccan, that means that 30% of your DNA match specifically to DNA related to Morocco. It's important to remember, though, that ancestry tests only look at a very small percentage of your DNA in the first place. That means that the 30% matching to Morocco, for example, is still a very small fraction of your whole DNA. Almost important to remember is the fact that ancestry tests aren't 100% correct. They do have limitations. In general, it's not difficult to get the continent correct, European or Asian, and results are obviously more accurate for populations that are more studied, like European populations. In order for anyone's ancestry to be correctly assigned, your ancestors need to be represented in the databases of information that companies use as their reference. They can't know you have ancestors from Malta if they have no samples of people with lineage to Malta or from Malta directly. Other limitations when DNA ancestry testing include that the database doesn't contain members of your ancestors' population, so it assigns your ancestry to a nearby related population. Some populations share a lot of ancestry, like England and Scotland, so sometimes it's hard to tell if certain parts of your genome are distinctly English or distinctly Scottish, or from a population that lived there before the countries of England or Scotland ever existed. It's also difficult to assign ancestry to short pieces of DNA, because all humans are genetically very similar. Many people, for example, might have an A at a specific location, where some populations would have a T. This one position can't predict your ancestry. The collected data needs to have lots of information to be able to find nuances and patterns to use as comparisons. It's tricky with mixed ancestry, as each strand of DNA is short. It's also tricky to detect ancestry from generations ago. Since we only inherit 50% of our parents' DNA, some ancestry could get lost. So yes, there are limitations, but the general, broader, continental ancestry estimates should be pretty accurate. Ancestry is just a small part in the larger picture of who each one of us is. Ancestry and DNA testing can tell us about where our ancestors originated, but that tells us nothing of their culture and the experiences which made and shaped the lives of your past generations. If, for example, your results show that you are mostly Chinese, it doesn't show that your great-great-great-grandparents were involved in an Indonesian community, and those are the cultural traditions that got passed down the line. Or you could have ancestors from a small Greek community in Italy, and even though you always thought your ancestors were Italian, your ancestry will show that you're Greek. In 2019, the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, did an investigation into DNA testing. They tested a set of twins and the results were mystifying. 23andMe told one twin that she was 13% broadly European, while her sister just showed 3% broadly European, and had more DNA matched to other more specific regions in Europe. Even more interesting is that when the twins had their DNA tested by five different companies, each one gave them different results. 
Overall, discrepancies in ancestry testing don't mean that genetic science is a fraud and that the companies are just making up the statistics they provide to their customers. The differences have to go with the limitations in science and the limitations we mentioned moments ago. 23andMe tells its customers, quote, your DNA tells the story of who you are and how you're connected to populations around the world, end quote. MyHeritage tells its customers that, quote, our DNA test offers you the powerful experience of discovering what makes you unique and learning where you really come from, end quote. And both those statements are very true in the results that customers are provided. So there's no lying. What isn't mentioned, though, is that your reports are generally based on estimations and that results can vary from company to company or month to month or year to year. Because as more users sign up and more DNA is received, they're able to collect more data for improved estimations. Vox.com points out one more thing we wanted to mention that is important to remember. And that is that ancestry DNA tests don't tell you where each member of your family tree lived. Instead, they tell you how much of their DNA you inherited. This is why siblings can get different reports from the same ancestry service. Your brother might have inherited a piece of DNA from one of your ancestors that you didn't receive. As you move further and further back on your family tree, there's a possibility you didn't inherit any DNA from a specific ancestor. That doesn't mean you're not related, you're still from the same family tree, and they are part of their heritage. DNA is not the same as heritage. Not everything about our family histories is geographic. These tests don't tell us what languages our ancestors spoke, or about the food that they ate, or if they were celebrated or persecuted. We also don't know much about how or why our ancestors lived or traveled. For example, Ashkenazi Jewish populations, who were very migratory, tended to marry within their personal groups, meaning that DNA testing could match you with Ashkenazi heritage, but not to a specific geographic location. Human history is messy. Lots of migration, lots of mixing, more than history books and lessons let us know about. The exact percentages of your DNA don't even really matter if your sibling has more Scandinavian DNA than you. Does that make them more Scandinavian than you? No. What DNA ancestry testing does is open a small door to our pasts that can be interesting to peer inside of. But yes, it is an imperfect guide. Many people are uncomfortable with the idea of heritage as something that needs to be corroborated with DNA evidence, or that people belong to a certain ethnic group based on a trivial amount of ancestry. Before we share our own findings from our 23andMe tests, we wanted to share a few other stories from DNA test users we had found online. From ABC10, we found the story of Catalina Della Pena, who attends college in New York and lives in Sacramento, California. Pre-testing, Catalina was expecting that she was going to be Chinese and maybe a little bit Korean. Catalina was adopted from an orphanage in Wuzhou, China, and she was hoping that the test results would give her some information about her biological makeup, a past she had never known. Her 23andMe results, however, were a bit of a shock. She wasn't expecting at all to see that she was 85% Vietnamese and 15% different parts Asian, like Chinese. She documented her findings in a project she did for college called The Death of My Chinese Self and Rebirth. Catalina also tested with Ancestry and her results were 56% Vietnamese and 44% Chinese, even more shocking, because now she was less Vietnamese than she originally thought. She was more half and half. ABC10 reached out to both companies to ask about the differences. 
The 23andMe product scientist that responded to the question said that, these are estimates based on reference populations, and those reference populations are typically different from one company to the next. Ancestry declined to make someone available to interview and sent a statement to the station instead, saying, Ancestry has the world's largest consumer DNA network with more than 22 million people, and we're always working to diversify our database. In June 2022, we more than doubled the number of markets where Ancestry DNA is available for purchase. With this expansion, we now reach the rest of North America, additional locations in South America, Europe, and Asia, and establish our presence in South Africa. We continuously update our algorithm and reference panel, which may change some users' results over time. As we add more customers to our Ancestry DNA database, we aim to increase the number of ethnicity revisions and the granularity of insights for all users regardless of their background. The 23andMe scientist also added that people with ancestry traceable to island nations tend to be easier to pinpoint, like the Philippines, because a population that's lived on an island for centuries or millennia typically is going to be a lot easier to identify as a distinct population just because of that geographic isolation than a population that's in the middle of a continent and has a lot of migration going through it. China is difficult sometimes because of its extensive migration. If you're curious about the finishing results for Catalina, eventually over time, as each site was able to gather more and more info, her results for both sites have now leveled out and are very similar. Therefore, we can conclude that people should periodically revisit their results, which can change over time, as companies grow and diversify their respective reference populations. Another user story we wanted to share is from an article we read on LiveScience.com from Rafi Letzer who describes himself as Jewish, 5'11", wears glasses, and who believed that most people wouldn't be surprised to learn that most of his ancestors lived in shuttles in Eastern Europe. Rafi sent nine DNA samples to different companies and even submitted under an alias, and yet all results indicated that he is super Ashkenazi Jewish, although none of the companies could agree on just how Ashkenazi he is. Live Science sent Rafi samples to three different companies, Nat Geo Helix, Ancestry DNA, and 23andMe. Rafi's initial Ancestry DNA sample reported that he was 93% European Jewish, 2% Iberian Peninsula, 1% European South, 1% Middle East, and the rest from everywhere else. Another Ancestry result produced similar results, although not identical. There was apparently an issue with other Ancestry results, so those unfortunately weren't available to Rafi. The 23andMe results also concluded that Rafi was somewhere in the 90s of Ashkenaziness, but 1% of these results were apparently Native American, which Rafi said, knowing of his family history, could most certainly not be true. Since originally taking the tests and 23andMe having updated its system, Rafi's results for two of his samples indicated that he was 100% Ashkenazi. Another sample that was sent to 23andMe was submitted as female and no results could be processed as there were unexpected chromosomes. The last set of results from Nat Geo Helix claimed that Rafi was 88% from the Jewish diaspora and 10% from Italy and Southern Europe. Rafi ends his testing and results finding by saying he's a lot Ashkenazi Jewish, like mostly or entirely. The rest of his ancestors in recent memory probably also lived in Europe though who really knows where. And maybe somewhere in his family tree, there was a Middle Easterner or a Native American, but probably most definitely not. 
All right. Now for the fun part. Our own results. I'm excited. Unfortunately, we've both only tested from one company, 23andMe, but I feel as mixed race individuals, we've got a lot to work with. Before testing, and from what I've personally been told and have learned about my DNA ancestry, growing up, I was always Indian, Indian only, which is, I mean, obviously true if you look at me. It's pretty much all you see, I would think. Or I've got Middle Eastern, like Persian or in that direction, but I never, I mean, I guess I could only link myself with Indian because I, I've never seen anybody that looks like me. So Indian, you mean like, like Southeast Asian, like India, Bangladesh, like somewhere over there. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I've, when I was younger, um, small little Indian ladies would come up to me and speak in whichever language. And then I'd be like, what? (laughs) In elementary school, I'm like, pardon? And they're like, are you Indian? I'm like, no. And I said no, which is weird because why would you say no? You look Indian, you fool. But I said no. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. They're probably like, this chick is so Indian and is telling me she's not Indian. But when, you were, but when you were little, like, were you told, like, you are Indian? Go out into the world, little Indian child. No. Well, then that's why you would never tell these little old ladies, like, yes. Yes, ma'am. I am Indian. <laughs> no. I wasn't told anything. I, uh, my mom never went out of her way, I guess, to break down anything. I mean, I asked her what she was mixed with, and she always said uh, German and Cuban. So I was okay with that. And then that's what I went with. And my dad is Indian, obviously. Um, and they were both born in Jamaica, and Jamaica's filled with everything. So it wasn't hard for me to accept that. It was like, okay, Jamaica's very multicultural. So. And I didn't really notice, notice, or feel like I had to pay attention until high school because everybody's like, where are you from, where are you from, where are you from? Should I read them? Yes. Okay. So 50% shocking is uh, Central and South Asian, obviously. Um, 50% Bengali and Northeast Indian. So West Bengali. Pretty much it's like the country of Bengal or Bangladesh, sorry. Um, and then 0.6% is broadly Central and South Asian. Um, so the next one is 37.5 European, which is British and Irish is 12.5, which I thought German would be first, but it's not. Um, French and German is next with 11.2%, Scandinavian 0.5, which is weird. Or is it weird? I don't know. And then the next one is broadly Northwestern European. I mean, it's pretty much from Austria to Ireland is what is highlighted there. So, and then I am 3.7 Ashkenazi Jew. You are? Ashkenazi Jewish. Yeah. So. I'm jealous. Why, you're, you don't have any? Oh, I am definitely 0% Ashkenazi Jewish as per my results. Oh, no way. Oh, okay. And then... um. 2.2% Southern European, which is, it's pretty much mostly European, and then 2.2% Balkan, and then 0.8% broadly European, and then the what everybody gets is um, African. Sub-Saharan African, sorry, 10.2%, um, 9.2% West African, 6.9% Nigerian, 0.7 from Ghana, Liberia, Sierra Leone, and 1.6 broadly West 
African, 0.5 Northeastern African, 0.5 Sudanese, 0.3 Congolese, 0.2 Broad, and then 1.3% Western Asian and North African, 0.7 Iranian, Mesopotamian, 0.1 Northern West Asian, like, and then 0.4% unassigned. Yeah, so what do you think of mine? It's probably not shocking. Um, I, I'm not shocked about your, your Southeast Asian-ness. Your mom said Cuban, but you didn't say anything about Cuba. I mean, you said some sort of African, so maybe Afro-Cuban, possibly, at some point. Possibly. I'm not sure. Uh, my, uh, we have to get her one. Your mom? Because she's the mixed person. Yeah. So we're going to get one. Yeah. I was thinking that too. I thought like, oh, I would really like mm-hmm. to do my parents, even my mom. Well, you'll see why I think I want to do my mom. Um, and I'd also want to do Maxwell. So not knowing a ton of information about your, your dad's ethnicity background, do you think most of the traits that you see are like from your mom or you were how much? Indian? Oh, wait, 50. 50%. Oh, so that's all your dad. Yeah, yeah, it is. 50% all him. And then my mom is all those hundreds of things, which is not very clear. Like, so it looks like she's mostly British or like British is the biggest part. So prior to my testing, I knew that I was going to be, or I know that I am, 100% Chinese on my mom's side with my mother being born in Trinidad. So I would expect myself to be 50% Chinese. And from my dad's side, I would assume uh, 25% Southeast Asian from India and like 25% black with roots, I assume, came from Africa somewhere. And 25% Portuguese from Madeira is what I've been told, which is where Cristiano Ronaldo's from. So maybe him and I are related possible however my results from 23 and me were as follows i am 49.7 percent east asian which means my mom is not 100 percent chinese i mean she's very minimal something else but she's something else i mean the thing could be wrong but i mean 49.7 is pretty much half but anyhow 49.7 percent east asian with a breakdown of 45.1% South Chinese, which is Guangdong, mainland China, and southern provinces. 4.1% Indonesian, Thai, Khmer, and Myanmar. And 0.5% broadly East Asian. I am also 30% Central and South Asian from Bengali and Northeast Indian, just like Vanessa. I am also 11.6% sub-Saharan African with 10.7% West African, broken down further as 6.2% Nigerian, 3.9% from Ghana, Liberia, or Sierra Leone, and 0.6% broadly West African. But of the 11.6% sub-Saharan African, 0.5% is Northern East African, which is broken down further as 0.2% Sudanese and 0.3% broadly Northern East African. And the remainder of the African breakdown was 0.4% broadly Sub-Saharan. And I'm also 
6.6% European, which broken down further as 6.2 Northwestern European as 5.1 British and Irish, 0.2 French and German, and 0.9 broadly Northwestern. And the remainder of my European DNA is apparently 0.4 Southern European from Italy. Very strange. But it's way less European than I had expected, which is very interesting and which is why I really want my dad to do a breakdown. 0.7% of my DNA was trace ancestry, so like 0.4 Anatolian, 0.2 Egyptian, and 0.1 North African, and 0.6 of my DNA was unassigned, which came with the following statement. There is a wide range of human diversity in the world, and sometimes our algorithm is unable to match a region of your DNA to a specific population with confidence. Individuals whose ancestors come from multiple continents and who mixed many generations ago typically see more unassigned ancestry in the ancestry composition. Individuals whose ancestors came from just one continent or individuals whose ancestors intermixed more recently typically see less unassigned ancestry. And then lastly, in the section labeled Recent Ancestry in the Americas, they report Caribbean with a high likely match to St. Vincent and the Grenadines, which is so not correct, and a possible match, a possible match to Trinidad and Tobago. So that part is a little wonky. And mine specifically said Jamaica. So how many of me's are there? And doing this test, it's like my mom's more white than I thought. So this is why people say you are so white. Not visually. Personality white. Yes, that's what I mean. It's in your DNA. Oh, well, my mom raised me as a valley girl? Pretty much. Or that just came to me. Probably just came to me. It just came to it's because it's in your DNA. Interesting, interesting. Patricia has to do it. But I mean, your mom is very white looking. Minus the hair. It's true. It's just her nose and her hair. But even her nose could be. I suppose. It's a German nose. Is it? She's not that German. I don't know. So then it's not a German nose. I don't know. The whole, my mom has it. Her mom has it. My great grandma has it. Like a hard nose. It'd be interesting for your brother to do the test to see how similar him and you are. If he got the same. Yeah, but then my brothers would be like, I'm not going to do that. It's it, I don't know if it confused me more. I don't think it's confusing per se. I think the the breakdown, like I, I am slightly confused on my, my parents, not my parents, my dad's side, because I was, I was pretty sure about my percentages wise, like 25% European, 25% African, and then the majority of it would be East Indian, but that is so not the case. So it's like, do they not know? Like, do my does my grandmother not know? Like, I don't know my great-grandmother. I only know what people say. So how far back are, are people incorrect? Or is this whole thing wrong? Not necessarily wrong, but like a little off, right? I don't know if I feel more confused or more together. Probably more confused. Maybe back then they didn't know the races, so they just guessed. Because at first my grandma said that it's Filipino which is so incredibly false. And even just looking at this test, it's false. There's no Filipino, nothing. Nothing like yours, Indonesian, like nothing over there, like nothing. Well, I am also not Filipino. And I'm also not Japanese, which I'm very sad about. But I kind of knew that. <laughs> so I think next up, we should try to get 
the parents to do the spitting and then compare the parents' results to our results. So something that kind of bothered me about this whole results thing was the people that I was matched to, like my so-called DNA relatives. So the first person at the top of my list labeled first cousin once removed is someone I actually know. And yes, she actually is my first cousin once removed. So in this respect, yes, the process of the DNA evaluation is correct. As for anyone else on the list, I have no idea who these people are. Many of their last names are not familiar. There is one person that has a familial last name that I know of, but I don't know that specific person. But the one thing that really, really bothered me is that when I joined 23andMe, I had to fill in info about like my parents' birthplaces, my grandparents' birthplaces, any family surnames that I was aware of over the course of our history. And these very simple answers can help people connect. And I know not everyone's out there to connect, but for me, like, uh, not that I necessarily want to connect, but I'm curious to see if I am actually related to these people or not. But most of the profiles of the people in my DNA relative section that I looked at, they didn't even provide a lot of info. So it's kind of sad that you would make your profile available to people to look at, but then how would you, unless you're literally cousins that you like actually know that you actually grew up with, that you are related, how would people be able to actually for sure be like, oh yes, I could definitely be related to this person. So like, why else would these people join? I don't understand. Melissa and I both did the basic test with 23andMe. There's a more costly one that provides health insights like bone density, electrolytes, insights about your heart health, kidney, liver, metabolism, reproductive health, and thyroid. In terms of health, the core testing that we did can help do assessments on hemoglobin, BMI, heart rate, and blood pressure. But we need to enter values and then have a decent amount of values entered to be able to make assessments. So another of the included result sections from our testing is a section called physical features. And in this section, it provides a statistical probability of a specific physical trait based on genetics from your DNA. For fun, I just wanted us to go through the list of the 18 traits and I actually just realized there's a section with a few more things. So if we have time, we'll get to those and see what our probability was and if it's accurate or not. So let's take a look at this. Okay, so first on the list is cheek dimples. And my genetics prediction was that I do not have dimples. 62% chance I do not have dimples. And that is actually correct because I do not have dimples. I have dimples. So it was 62, not that I have mass or big dimples, but I have a couple. So it's 62 you don't and 38 you do. That is the exact same genetic makeup I have for 62 and 38. Interesting. Next was cleft chin, and my genetics predicted that I am 95% do not have a cleft chin, which is correct. I do not have a cleft chin. Mine is 78% I do not. It's, I think you have like teeny tiny and 22% you have one. And next is dandruff, which 71% chance that I have never had dandruff, which is true. I have never had a dandruff problem. Me too. And next was the earlobe type. 82% chance I have detached earlobes and I very much do have detached earlobes. As do I. What'd you say? 63%? 82%. Oh, wow. Mine's 63%. My next one is, um, so the earwax type. And my genetics predict 91% chance I have wet, sticky earwax. So here's a little TMI for you guys. I actually, genetically, because my dad also has the same problem, 
we have horrible earwax like it's wet it's sticky it's so gross and there's so much of it you have you can't even imagine so this whole 91 percent thing is very correct here mine is 93 percent and which i suppose i do it's not a lot but it is yeah for eye color prediction it predicted 75 percent chance of me having dark brown eyes which is very very correct me too also correct and next up is the finger length ratio. What's your percentage? Mine's 57. It's a 55% chance that my ring finger is longer than my index finger. And that is not correct. I do not have a longer ring finger than index finger. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely not longer. They're the same. No, my ring finger is actually shorter. Uh, for freckles wise, it's... For me, it was 73% chance that I do not have freckles, and I do not. Minus 63%, you have few, if any, and 37 that I have lots, and I have a good amount, I'd say. For hair photo bleaching, it's a 63% chance that I experience hair photo bleaching. And I mean, 63 is not that high, but my hair does not change color in the sun. It never has, not even since I was a child. Oh, I, don't, I think minus 59%, I don't. For hair texture, mine is 41% chance of slightly wavy hair. How many percent? 34? 41. Oh, okay. Mine's 34 slightly wavy hair, but I don't have wavy hair. What kind of hair do you have? Well, like between wavy and curly. It's like more of bigger curls, not tight or small curls. Yeah, so 41% chance of slightly wavy hair. I mean, I wouldn't say my hair is slightly wavy. I would say it's wavy. I wouldn't necessarily... I guess my hair is wavy curly, but not 100% curly, and it's not 100% wavy, so. Yeah, same. In the middle. I had a 60% chance that I had little or no hair at birth. I have a 55% chance I had lots of hair at birth, and I did, so that is true. I didn't have a lot of hair. I just had, like, a normal amount of hair. I wasn't super bald. I have a 99% chance I do not have red hair, which is very correct. <laughs> me too. <laughs> me too. Makes me so sad. Although it is red hair right now because I dyed it. But yeah, 99% I do not. So the next category is very interesting. It is skin pigmentation. And so what is your top percentage? My top percentage is 35% chance of light beige skin. Me too. And we're not, are we the same color? Yeah, almost-ish. Well, I don't think I'm... There's light beige, light brown. I don't think I'm light brown. I could be light brown, but 50% chance I do not have stretch marks, and that is so false. But it's 50-50, so. Look, mine 70%. I have stretch marks. I only have them on my hips, though. Mine are on my thighs. I have a 58% chance that I have a longer big toe, but I do not have a longer big toe, so that is incorrect. Mine is 51%. That I have a longer big toe, and I also, I think it's the same length as the big toe. Interesting. 52% chance I do not have a unibrow, which is correct. 46% <laughs> chance you have a little bit of unibrow, and guess what? I do. <laughs> you do? I did not know that. <laughs> you must work really hard at that. <laughs> it's a, it said little bit, so there's like sparsity. Uh, 71% chance I do not have a widow's peak, and I do not have a widow's peak. 80% chance I do not, and I do not. So there's this whole other section now, reports. Um, wake up time? 
So it tells me, Melissa, people with your genetics in their 40s wake up on average around 8.02 a.m. on their days off. This, for me, is false because I have serious sleeping problems, but it doesn't know that. Maybe if I didn't have sleeping problems, I would wake up at 8.02, but I generally wake up at 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning. What about yours? Mine says, Vanessa, people with your genetics in their 40s wake up on average around 7.55 a.m. on their days off. Does it count if I have an alarm? Uh, the next one is misophonia. And what exactly is misophonia? Because I had no idea. Uh, it says that almost everyone hates noises like nails on a chalkboard, but for people with a condition called misophonia, everyday noises like the sound of chewing can cause a similar reaction along with rage or panic. So... 23andMe tells me that I have a slightly higher than average odd of hating the sound of others chewing. But honestly, I can't say that anyone's chewing stands out as bothering me. See, look, and mine mine says average odds, and I've had many a time where I've loathed chewing, and that has pissed me off. Okay, so the last one we will summarize for you guys is the sweet versus salty where the combination of my genetics and other factors makes me more likely to prefer salty or savory snacks, which is 100% true. Oh, it, it there is a percentage. It says 64%. Okay, I'm 66% for salty and savory. Is that true? And then sweet, but I feel I feel like it's equal. 50/50. Like I could have Yeah. I could have both. I am actually more of a salty snack person. I love it all. I mean, I'm not opposed to sweet snacks, but... But you have a gummy desk. I do, but I also have things like <laughs> cheese breadsticks and popcorn. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> yummy. Okay. <laughs> it's okay, so you have a sweet drawer and a salty drawer. I just have a desk full of snacks, basically. It's like I only go to work to snack. I think that brings our DNA testing episode to a close, folks. Thanks for tuning in today. We really appreciate every single one of you. And if you like what you've heard and haven't done so already, please remember to like, follow, or subscribe to Mixed DNA Podcast on whichever platform you're listening to us on right now. If you could also write a five-star review where applicable, we would really appreciate it. The combination of both follows and positive reviews helps to ensure we are able to reach as wide an audience as possible. Also remember to follow us on social media, Facebook or Instagram at Mixed DNA Podcast, where we post relevant and helpful information on each week's topic. Thanks again, everyone. And you'll hear from us again next week. Bye. Bye, everybody. Yeah.